Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Zach and you're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, are there more eyes or legs on the planet? Okay, here comes the show. Remember, question everything. Hello everybody and welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked and we are talking everything from... We are talking everything from Zach from Nottingham's question, are there more eyes than legs in the world? That's a really good question. I'm probably going to say there are more eyes than there are legs in the world because there are some... I guess invertebrate animals and animals that don't have limbs or appendages that may also have eyes. Uh, and I wasn't sure if Zach necessarily meant just uh, Homo sapiens. So I'm going to say I think there are more eyes than legs in the world. But the fact that most people don't pay attention to shit, you would think the opposite is true. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to lie, you're a weird weird guy, Zach, but uh, thanks for your question. And suffice to say, on this show, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dave? Absolutely. No question is too big, too small, too weird, or too boring. We welcome them all. And if you do like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from, and you'll never miss an episode. We can hear all of our very special questions being asked and answered by our very special and esteemed guests. With that being said, on today's show is a Canadian stand-up comedian legend with over 25 years experience in the game. His initial successes have led to him being nominated and being awarded as Best Male in the Canadian Comedy Awards just for last gala and his own hour-long special on Canadian TV. Since residing in the UK, he has also appeared on Michael McIntyre's Comedy Road Show, Live at the Apollo, and a Real Variety Showcase for Jeremy Lee Associates, as well as being a mainstay at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and is in the process of preparing for his next cross country tour of Canada and he is also my travelling companion in comedy please welcome to the show Mr. Sean Collins Yay! it's been a while man it's been a while how you been I'm okay um, well then you know me you know a lot better than than they know me so you know what from 2018 what what went on for me so uh, yeah man it's been it's, so, it's been a real roller coaster man I mean it's been one of these things where, you know, normally people say shit like you talk to them and they go, you know what? You're going to get some great material out of this. <laughs> and like from 2018 until present, you've probably had like a good, decent, like five, five specials worth of life experiences yeah. of emotional roller coasters and reflecting on traumas and just upping your game comedically as well and finding new ways to realize it and uh just you know dealing being being a a uh a marginalized or being a distinct voice during the pandemic i'm surprised you're alive bro there's <laughs> <laughs> been yeah a lot's happened and, and and heart attack and stroke free man how you feeling i'm feeling very well man thank you very much the canadian thing as you know i'm hoping to get it done and i'm hoping to bring dane with me back across canada but we're still sort of dealing with with finalizing that as well so um but that would be great. I would love for you to come and see 
I think you would love Canada. And no, I, think I, I really would, do. man. I think Canada is definitely a uh, a territory where I'd like to plant a flag. Uh, Can't be any worse than the country below it, can it? So, uh, well, yeah. I mean, but you, you know what? You know what's interesting about Canada, Howard, is that like my theory is kind of like Canadians. I mean, particularly Black Canadians have a very similar status to uh, uh, Black Britons in that as a former imperial uh, nation, their experience is relatively obscured from the rest of the world. Mm. Uh, however, a lot of uh, white Canadians like Sean obviously have rich experience with interacting with what is actually a very diverse part of the world, even though that's not really shared around the world. So I want to, you know, as Sean's squire and uh, kind of like as a mentee, learn more about the layout there. Because uh, me and Sean spent a lot of time we were, uh, in the Arab Emirates. We did like a brief tour of Dubai and uh, definitely opened up my eyes to learn a lot more about comedy legends, a lot of my predecessors in different parts of the world. And uh, yeah, just most importantly, a lot of shit about the uh, entertainment game that I didn't necessarily mm. know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that Sean told me that should be probably in like Netflix documentaries by now. <laughs> what, what did you say to me? The only Canadian black man I hear of is Drake? Yeah, which what? is insane. It's, it's, insane. Insane. Listen, it, it's like this. I, I, I say to people a lot of time in material stuff like that as well is that like, you know, the uh, the, the black Canadian experience is so, is so obscured from public view that we have now been able to convince ourselves that ice hockey was not invented by black people and it was invented by runaway slaves. Jesus, wait. I can't believe I don't know the answer to that. That's what I mean, yeah. Because so most, most black people, you talk to them about ice hockey, they're like, hell fucking no. But yeah, slaves that uh, completed their run of the underground railroad then began to uh, come up with a whole new sport. Well, well it's, it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane? As the format of this show dictates, mate. Yeah, normally, which is which is normally quite difficult for Sean and I because we do talk a lot. But uh, yeah, as our very esteemed guest, Sean, I'd like to invite you to ask the first question we would like to discuss for about fifteen minutes, and then uh, my producer friend Howard would like to pose a question to you based on your wisdom and experience. We'd like to discuss for about fifteen minutes, and then in just regular shit between you and I, maybe with the absence of some four twenty, I'd like to pose a question to you which we discuss for about fifteen minutes. And then I would love for you to tell our listeners and viewers where they can find out about your great works, past, present, and future. As our esteemed guest, the floor is yours to ask the first question. Do you think that ageism, regardless of of color, background, or anything, exists in British television? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. No, it definitely does. It definitely does. And I think there's a lot of reasons for it, uh, Sean. You know, I work in television, Uh I'm, I'm one of the these these people, you know, who thinks. <laughs> how please okay, be careful how you word it, Mister Cohen. On this, before then, someone takes your soundbite. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Good point. Yeah. I forget about that at the moment. We're really, uh, really back in that zone again, aren't we? Yeah, um, we're back there. No, I'm a producer. You know, I've worked a lot in in TV, particularly developing the shows and trying to get the shows to happen. And um, I think this era has been particularly revealing because, you know, we are desperate to find ways to retain the audience that is just on their phones and on the Internet. You know, that's that's the, the absolute desperation <laughs> to do that has meant that ageism that may have existed and probably did exist before that uh, generation moved to their phones it's just it's just got a lot worse. Well, uh, here's here's my thought process on. I know you're trying. I know that I know what they're trying to do. I was told recently that part of the reason I didn't get a comedy, even though my set that I sent in was the best one, was they wanted comedians between the ages of twenty and twenty five. 
So it's exactly what you're saying is they are trying to target. But my my point on that logic is if it's the young people that are on their phones constantly and computers and everything else, why don't you put some of us old fucks on because it's the old fucks that are still watching the BBC and still watching those. So why don't you represent the older generation? Because it's the older generation that can't use their phone. It's the older generation that doesn't know how. It's the older generation know, that pay for TV licenses. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the, the older generation that actually will pay for tickets. And the yeah. older generation that actually has money. Because this is, I think people tend to forget a lot of time. With most young people, is uh, even though there will be a few notable exceptions, young people don't have money. Like, I remember my youth, and a lot of time when I do recollect my youth, I think, oh, man, if I did that again, I'd probably do this, and I would go here, and I'd do this. And I remember, oh, I could barely afford train fare. That's why I didn't do a lot of things, and that's why I was my biggest, uh, two of my biggest, almost valuable assets in my youth would have been my imagination and my vitality. So even if I couldn't do things, then I could make my own fun. But that's what you tend to do when you're a young person. So it's a very insidious initiative that people are trying to commercialize and also monopolize on a childhood imagination. I definitely believe that there is a serious issue of ageism within the entertainment industry, uh, which uh, goes as far as even the marginalization of uh, older creatives. And is the other side where in, uh, which is arguably even one of the darker aspects of ageism that takes place where it's the uh, adultalization of young people and then the subsequent sexualization of young people within the creative industry that rather than have people who have autonomous control over their own sexuality and people who have the wisdom of experience of being able to leverage their sexuality or display in the correct way what you tend to have are larger external interests which are use people who may not have the same level of sexual experience and make them a lot more malleable and are a lot more malleable and vulnerable and could use those people to commodify their sexuality and sell it off until they reach the point in time where their sexuality isn't as easy to sell and these people are left on the wayside like an example of that would be like you know you look at someone like Lindsay Lohan who started off in the parent trap and then fast forward when she's gone through the uh, Hollywood mill and then there's, you know, rumors of, you know, sex work to like the highest bidder in uh, in um, the Emirates or just uh, having to constantly be in rehab. And that's just one of several stories where, again, it's like, you know, Britney Spears going from the front cover of Rolling Stone with all the teddy bears behind her, but provocatively dressed as a schoolgirl to fast forward and having grown men reference the size of her breasts as a teenager. And then you fast forward years where she's shaving her head because in her mind she's covered in some kind of filth that she can't get off of herself. I think it's a really, it's a very strange thing. Um, and it really just shows the schism that exists between show the show part of show business and the business aspect of it in that most people, particularly in our art form of comedy, understand that this is, I'd say, narratively and editorially, it's a reflective art form in that you need to see shit and go through shit in order to be very good at comedy. Because... How else will people identify with what the fuck you're talking about unless you're able to give them a frame of reference or context as to why you are able to draw these conclusions from your experiences? And that's something that can only come through maturity and experience. And age doesn't always mean that because you're old, you know more than someone that's younger than you, but it's the wisdom that comes from experience. Do you know when you were talking, Dane, when you were talking earlier about the recent 
um, on my social media, those little clips that are getting a lot of views. And, and part of the reason was I went into the comedy store for probably the first time in about 10, 10 years, and you saw the material that I did. But it's the first time that I did material without in the back of my mind thinking, I want to do this so I can get on television. I, and maybe this is what's going to help me in my career in stand-up is I'm not playing to get on television anymore. It finally dawned on me, the ageism thing, that they're not, I could go rip, I could be on a show with, with six 20-year-olds and I could rip it ahead of those 20-year-olds to the point where it's, it's unbelievable, but they're going to, I understand, they're going to take the two best 20-year-olds, right? And as soon as I switched and did that set um, at the store, I did two of them back-to-back, and that's what I've been putting clips on. There's stuff that I know the BBC will look at and go, well, it's got five minute, million views, but we can't put that on, on television, right? So, But it's getting the play on social media. I've never had so much traffic in my life. So all my stand-up now is, I, in my opinion, that I'm writing, when I'm working on it, when I'm bringing back out, is improving and getting the play because I'm no longer worried about pleasing the BBC or ITV because I've taken them almost out of the equation. And I'm sure if I got big enough that they would turn around and come knocking because they're not dumb. Yeah. Right? If it keeps going. Well, I mean, they're, they're, not, I, they're not dumb, but they are quite dumb because they're, well, if they're nothing else, they're very short-sighted. And obviously that goes back to the thing about being age is that they obviously see a very small brief window for development and exploitation. And yes. they try to take that window and they think it's something that's very it's much easier to do with someone who's very young and excited and arguably industrially naive about their opportunities. Whereas someone who's had a lot more experience and been able to learn their craft and learn the nature of the industry is going to be a lot more discernible. Because I think what it definitely shows in terms of them being dumb is the fact that by you migrating your work onto social media, which is essentially where we get to always observe true democracy, you've proven the issue is not that people's palates are turned off to an older person or a mature comedian, because you can always just because there are themes within human life that aren't going to change irrespective of your age. It's I guess it comes down to the fact so you've proven that, you know, there's an appeal and it definitely works. But it's obviously something within the uh what some a business ideal within industry where they feel like uh the aesthetic alone determines how well something's going to do if something looks young or it looks vibrant you know it's the same kind of logic that yeah. where, where they describe products as new and improved but it can't be both because if it was improved it means that there was a previous model that had to be improved upon so it can't be new and improved it's just another one of these kind of capitalist paradoxes that come from resource exploitation that uh <laughs> don't really work out in the long run and it's also very interesting because if you look at some of the uh, most prolific people within social media irrespective of how you feel about them whether it's a Kanye West or a Andrew Tate or even like Alex Jones all of these people are in their 40s and stuff or idols are in their 40s and they're still able to command an enormous amount of attention and support from people irrespective of age and I think that comes down to the fact that despite the fact that we've seen so much evolution in our media in terms of our access to it and in terms of our utilization of media, human attitudes have still remained the same whereby youth is about having the Im- imagination and vitality to act out an ideology, but elder, more experienced minds are still very effective in giving counsel and allowing people to understand that, how they're able to direct that energy. And I think it's 
important, especially now where people are, are very worried about how, you know, when you look at ideologues like Andrew Tate, how they're able to, well, people say manipulate or radicalize younger people. I think there should be alternate voices there as well, like yourself, potentially like myself, who can provide an alternate narrative to people who in a post-religion, post-cult world are looking for direction. And the best kind of direction or advice is always going to come from someone who's experienced that shit before. I think if you look at, if we look at, for example, the uh, explosion of incels and a lot of cisgender heterosexual men who appear to be directionless and trying to define what their masculinity is, it would be very useful to have men who are fathers to sons themselves like yourself, older men who have, you know, seen the uh, changes in the definition of masculinity or the aesthetic of masculinity change throughout a number of different periods, be able to recant their experience to these same men rather than having men of the same age trying to advise men without any experience. So we have the blind leading the blind, uh, whereas we could actually be giving people like platforming people like yourself with some level of insight to young men to how to deal with stuff like, you know, whether it's finding a relationship, how to manage your mental state when a relationship ends, how to maintain a relationship in order to be prosperous for your children to be able to grow up in and still be able to maintain a positive masculine influence on your children. These are things that young men are not going to get from influencers who have not had the same experience. Yeah, it's a good observation, mate. And, um, you know, I uh, I wonder what will happen. Wonder what will happen with it. But we're going to have to move on. Otherwise, we're not going to get through our questions today. But it was a good question, wasn't it, Sean? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good That's a good question. It's a good question. They, for any, and anybody listening, if you don't think it applies to you, listen, the one thing in your life that is not going to change is that your age is getting going up every year. So if you don't want to pay attention to it now, you will at some point. You're going to start to feel a little bit irrelevant. And that's one of the most frustrating thing is having that voice and that knowledge inside you and being unable to express it can be very frustrating, especially because they almost put you out to pasture. Yeah. You know, they almost go and, and, but bizarrely enough, I know how we got to move on from this. Bizarrely enough, it's the UK that does this because I think if you look at America, the comedians in America that are exploding and you can still see those 50 year old comedians are still getting the work and still getting the television because they treat those comedians more like a fine wine rather than something that's going stale right they yeah they- and even if and even if they're not necessarily doing stand-up comedy because of the level of insight they have had and how much they've contributed to social commentary they're still been able to move into spaces where they can still effectively benefit because you may you have a joe rogan but you also have a john stewart and because of that, these guys are still have relevant voices within the larger sphere of comedy and satire and social commentary. And it still provides, like I said, and that's and that's one of the, I'd say, particularly speaking as a black co- British comedian, that's one of the advantages that the US has already had over the UK is that like, if I'm an Amer- African-American comic and I want to know what direction I might want to go in artistically or narratively, I can look at a Red Fox or a Richard Pryor, but I can even look today and still see a Dave Chappelle or a Chris Rock. Or even if I want to go, go in the direction of an Eddie Griffin, or a Cedric the Entertainer, or a Steve Harvey. So there's so many paths in which I can follow, or uh, so many narratives that I can indulge to think about where I'm going next. Whereas, and this is in no condemnation of the man, but Lenny Henry being still the most prolific black British comedian that we've seen in this country since the 70s, makes it very hard uh, for there to be a precedent for any black British comic to know 
where can I go next? Or how could I channel my creativity in this direction? How can I go in this direction? I mean, luckily I've got guys like yourself around, Sean, but, you know, who could be like, yeah, I understand the bullshit you're going through as well. But I think it's very important. I think that uh, being able to transgenerationally pass on knowledge is why art exists. That's how we're able to kind of quantify and, uh, I suppose, uh, you know, crystallize our human experience is by having these snapshots that we refer to as art and then being able to have those creators provide an interpretation to anyone who has the same kind of aspirations to express themselves. I just grew up, my, my parents' albums were Richard Pryor, Red Fox, uh, Bill Cosby, you know, and, you know, I'm not, it's nothing to do with what's gone on with him, uh, but his, his storytelling ability back in the day was, was second to none, Bill Cosby, when he started out. I mean, my parents watched him do three hours and 16 minutes at a live show. I remember them coming home in the 70s, and he sat on that stool for, in that chair for over three hours. And yeah. But I, I think, I think you know, again, I'm also somebody who in no way condones Bill Cosby's actions or platitudes. But for me, it's important to know that a comedian can engage with people for three and a half hours on stage. Just as a feat, that's important to know that can be done in order for the art form to continue to thrive and progress. That's an important yeah. tool for anyone to have. For me, I don't remember any. I don't remember any comedians necessarily when I was young, who I was looking at, uh, thinking to myself, "Well, it's it's about them being young is the reason I'm watching or listening to them." You know, like you think of there was a guy on television in this country uh, called Les Dawson, uh, Sean, who you, you may or may not have come across, but he was like a Saturday night entertainer, but he was the last kind of person you'd expect to be a Saturday night entertainer, but he was, you know, absolutely. Didn't he, didn't he marry that girl from uh, Britain's Got Talent, the judge? No, no, that's Les Dennis, who's slightly oh, Les, different. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but good, 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 good try. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but, you know, we, uh, we, we have, you know, uh, uh, definitely developed an obsession with it. You know, in, in the UK, in comedy, there definitely was a period where, where some young voices appeared and seemed to kind of shift people's perspectives to, towards thinking that that's the way to... You as, know. Far as, as far as black American comics, and, and people don't give them enough credit, but the, the artist for me that took it to another level in every way was Eddie Murphy. Yeah. When he put out Delirious, um, that brought even a larger scope of people in to listen to what this man had. It, it was phenomenal, the impact that that and Raw, and it doesn't get enough credit how good those two hours of stand-up was. Yeah. I personally love Delirious, but I like Raw more because Raw, for me, after Delirious, was him as a man. Yeah. He had already made it, and yeah. now he was coming back, and he had the voice to talk about things that he wanted to talk about. Delirious was the springboard, but Raw was the voice. It's, I, I, think, and, I think that even today, there's still, for all of us who watched like Raw, we're still waiting for the sequel. And I think the fact that the, the yearning for that hasn't waned over over 20 years is testament to how important that was I think also the fact that Raw showed the world that not only is stand-up a relevant and solid art form in terms of being good enough to be on on vinyl and be eligible for like Grammys and that kind of applaud it but that showed that you can do stand-up as a motion picture and it still carries the same weight as any other motion picture with 10 times the amount of money invested in special effects what aesthetics we'll be back after this
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the show. Richard Pryor was the first one I remember when I was younger, and he was he has to be the one of the first ones I've seen that um, at the cinema. It was like Jaws was playing, but also his his special was playing as well, and it was sold out to go see Richard Pryor in Canada. Just you know, back in the seventies, playing it, and think about that. Yeah. People were going to see him in the in the cinema. You know, we're going, and it was on a seven o'clock show, a nine thirty show every weekend. It was selling out. It, it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's massively important. I think nowadays so much, there are so many elements of uh, digital media that can kind of enhance uh, art or basically uh, supplement it where it may fall short or supplement the resources that have been obscured to most people making things by themselves. But I think if we could always return to a state whereby a man can go on stage and entertain and tantalize the imagination of a whole audience based on the things that are coming out of his mouth, it is imperative for humanity to still hold on to that attribute. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but it isn't age dependent. I think, I think one of the reasons it's, no, you're right. There's no, the, 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 I'm, I'm clearly, you know, one of the reasons this is pertinent is, 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 you know, that you guys are making observations based upon your experiences. Right. Um, but it, it is, is, does feel like it's weirdly specific to this, this 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 particular bit of the media, uh, as in like with music, I find the way music approaches age is a very odd thing. Which is, it, it, I think we can generally accept if you want to be a pop chart success throughout the decades, people have been young, right? Comedy is different, though. But with music, you how you have to, right? It, it just that's just from the Beatles, from everyone ever. They, you know, Michael Jackson, everyone, right? They're just always young. Yeah, is yeah. that you think that's the, the uh, twenty? Is it the Twenty Seven Club thing as well? Yeah, yeah. But I think I think what it is as well is that like the endeavor has been historically for artists uh, was that your work captures the era, and mm. so by that same token, when people go back and listen to it, they can return to that era, which means puts you in the same state whereby you return to that state when you may have first heard that music. And I think mm. because of that, how that's why it becomes ageless is because these guys, it, that's almost how you remember that period. Like you can read historical artifacts and stuff like that as well. But if you really want to know or remember how the main set of the sixties or see the extra of the sixties and seventies, you'll listen to the Jackson five or, or, you know, the Jackson or like, you know, the sixties, fifties, you'll listen to the Beatles because there, there are a number of different accounts that people will give, whether it's politically 
or historically or socially on the makeup at the time. But it's normally the music that scores that in any in any way. Music is not normally what we use to score any kind of historical event. And so that's mm. why it kind of remains relatively ageless. And I think it's also the themes and stuff as well. I think age and aesthetic and how much it permeates who is successful in music nowadays, I think is largely because of the fact that capitalism has such much more of a hold over music now than it did back in the day. The same way it does with media. Like when television was a relatively new technology and uh, film was still a relatively uh, new art form in terms of uh, commercial availability, like in the 60s and 70s, people made films then because it was like, well, it's a new thing. So whoever makes the best film is going to get the best audiences. Mm. Whereas once you had the capitalist element of looking at demographics and you know how to encourage purchases and ticket stub numbers and and like you know domestic and gross and all of these other more financial terms that began to come into the uh, artistic matrix of making a film or making an album like that's definitely it used to be changed about the album day it's not about the album anymore yeah, this exactly. is what's changed for me is when i was growing up and 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 stuff we would buy the album based on the hit but then we would listen to the whole album to get the artist's true what he really meant yeah. a lot of times but that doesn't happen anymore it's now just a single that comes out yeah it happens, no... it happens so seldom that when someone actually does make a, a thematic album that has a running theme it seems so much more profound and superior to anything else that's out there that uh, it's like and this is not in any way insulting but it's like that's why when Adele comes out with an album there's such a big fanfare around it because She's making an album and all she's discussing is a thing that has been endured all of human civilization since we were able to commit our voices to wax falling in and out of love. The pain of heartbreak. (laughs) Nothing's new about the concepts she's discussing, but because they resonate so much with people irrespective of age and culture or religious (laughs) disposition, that's why everybody loves it. You know, it's like Kendrick Lamar. I've heard a lot of people have been like, oh, he's kind of mediocre and he's overrated, which I don't necessarily agree with, but I think what sets him apart from his peers is the fact that with Good Kid Mad City, he made an album which just was a snapshot of his life living in contemporary Compton, Los Angeles. And mm. that was enough for people to be like, you know, I'm not just having someone rap stuff to me and, you know, cite the right commercial um, incentives to me. I'm hearing about a life, you know, yeah. and that, I think that's that's continued to be enduring for human beings. And I think... The real issue is because because of that, this is why artists justifiably had a lot of power and influence over society. And these problems have begun where we've allowed commercial interests to distill the idea of celebrity and fame from the artist and be able to use the idea of a celebrity or a famous person or an influencer to now become the, hu- the human clothes horses or the human billboards that we see trying to dictate behavior today. And I think one of the reasons why there's such a youth focus on it is because then young people are able to look at that and they project onto it because they're like, that person looks like me. And so they probably understand my life a lot more and can influence decisions that they would not normally make if they didn't have the wisdom of experience. Because that's the problem is that when you're coming as a child, coming into like adolescence and then trying to experience the early stages of adulthood, it's like having all of these inclinations and having all of these kind of needs you've never had before one of them being the need to belong and people can take that and manipulate it and 
try to organize you along a tribe or a demographic because it's, it's like even now we have such a intense discussion about like identity politics but for people our age like you saw Bowie wore like makeup and it wasn't really necessarily an issue it's like let's see where he's going with this whereas but David Bowie never used to sing songs about wearing eyelashes or I, I'm a woman he could still sing he's a star man but he's the way he appears we all understand that he's trying to subvert certain ideas but we wouldn't have but he would show rather than tell whereas now we live in an era where people precede any conversation or any idea they have by first declaring what demographic they belong to and thus almost in a way how their position within that demographic can be monetized and who they appeal to so it's almost like talking about this is who I'll be able to sell to and that's why people should pay attention to me and it's like even nowadays where it's like you hear about celebrities fans having particular names and it's like these fans like Lady Gaga's fans are called this and Rihanna's fans are called this it's like it's very possible that Lady Gaga fans are also fans of Rihanna they don't all have to be separated and you normally only get that kind of stratification if someone's trying to do marketing shit yeah mm. it's 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 the, uh, the the whole thing getting back to what you said about heartache everybody has heartache yeah Everybody and and in comedy and in music, it's people, uh, the artists that that do really well with heartache are that okay. Take Alanis Morissette because you yeah. mentioned some of the others. Alanis Morissette's first album was basically about a breakup. That's that's yeah. what it was. Jagged little pill, right? The difference between her and and who you said before dealing with it is the personality. Alanis Morissette is the kind of woman when you listen to her that would crazy glue her ex's penis to his stomach. And you can tell that that's, that, that's what comes across for me in that album, is that she's the kind of woman, because she does, I don't know if you heard that song at the end, it's a secret track where she sneaks into her ex's place and goes and uses the shower when he's not home and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I was, I was on a road with a comedian who was best friends with her ex. Uh. And, 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 and. And basically, yeah, she did that. And that's crazy. Yeah. She, she went back, but she sang about it. And and the appeal is, I think she represented. There's a lot of crazy people out there that can't handle heartache. Yeah, and they can relate to the fact that they felt like crazy glowing their ex's penis. People felt like, yeah, it's, it's cathartic. And that's the thing. Sometimes is that like, you know, there's always that uh, the argument of art imitating life and life imitating art. For me, that is an uh, that's a, it's an interdependent relationship, and both those things feed into each other. Life needs to yeah. exist in order for art to exist, and art needs to exist in order for well, life to be more in, more bearable. Right. But what, what you were saying about Adele, what I'm saying is Alanis and Adele, basically their albums sometimes are the same thing. It's yeah. just Morissette is an angry how she deals with... Adele you'd never think would crazy glue penis to a stomach or go crazy or stuff like that, but Alanis you would. So it's... And they both appeal on the same topic. Yeah. Because they have different points of view going into that topic Precisely. and how they deal with it. And that's, what, that's what's needed. And I think it's... It's very strange to for to uh, to presume that there are institutions out there who are aware that they're living on earth with 8 billion people with varying 8 billion stories and yet they can dictate what all of they're those people They're trying to want. funnel it all into one kind of story. Yeah. They just one narrative. That's what that's the scary thing for me about stand up right now is that yeah there are young ones coming up but if you look at it if you look at stand-up now and the way it's going, Dave, it's going into a kind for me, and I'm not saying they're not talented. I'm saying it's almost a retraining. Yeah. Because there's no more... 
because they know if they push the envelope too hard, there's topics you can't talk about because you'll get canceled and they won't touch you. Whereas back in the day, back before social media and everything else, that was the great thing about stand-up comedians is they could go right out there and they were supposed to, in my opinion, talk about those things because it gets people talking. I'll have, um, I had a recent one that I just put up and I didn't think I would get this reaction because I did it on on McIntyre, and then I just re-put it up now. And it's about my ex punching me in the face, right? What happened was that I didn't go into detail. It, the joke is about my reaction. I, When she hit me, uh, I turned, and she was crying. So I said to her, what are you crying for? And she said, I can't believe you made me so angry I punched you in the face. And then I said, sorry. So the whole thing was I got, I got punched. Right. Now, if you go onto my page now, and I'm, I'm talking about it's million, I'm getting thousands of messages of people. I get people angry who are messaging me going, how dare you put that out there? Because if roles were reversed, uh, that would be, that no one would be laughing at that. And, and I, I don't answer them because you know what? Roles are reversed. I'm talking about something that personally happened to me and it's yeah. a reaction. I'm not saying that it's okay for a woman to hit a man. I'm not saying a, it's okay for a man to hit a woman. I'm saying I got punched. In, I got hit by an ex years ago. Did I deserve the punch? In my opinion, yes, but I can't say that, right? Yeah. That's glorifying, right? And uh, you know what? She's still a friend of mine now. We still talk now. It's no way people are saying, oh, she, she was abusive. She wasn't. We had one incident where she lost it. She's not an abusive person. So people, but what it has opened up, what it shows me, Dana, and if you, if you look at it, is that people want to talk? People want to talk about it, and the fact that that simple joke has got so much discussion tells me because people are just are coming out saying, "Oh, you can't talk about that anymore." That's some of the comments I'm getting. You can't bring that. You can't yeah. do a joke like that anymore. Why can't I do a joke like that anymore? Well, yeah? it kind of highlights to me, Sean, the fact that we're living now through a time where where that we are we are desperate to confine life and its experiences to compartmentalize it in easy code so that it doesn't complicate our feelings. You know, it's like an experience you had. If it, you know, listen, mate, if it turned out that that had actually really, you know, been quite a jarring, sad, difficult, uh, horrible experience that has scarred you for life, you could still talk about that in comedy if you wanted to, mate. There's, there's a place for that too, you know, and, and we just seem to be stuck in this constant desire for all and every person to accept everyone's shit. And it's just not needed. Howard, I don't need to care. Howard, Howard it's, a, it's a good point as well, Sean. And I have a theory that I came across on a youth-oriented um, a site, uh, app, TikTok, which I think is interesting. Oh, yeah. It said something about the difference between Generation Z and like millennials, for example, and preceding generations is that... They are in an infinite cycle of phenomena. So, for example, if you went out to meet women when you were younger in like a nightclub, you probably have until the nightclub closes and then you have maybe if you meet somebody outside or you hang out with somebody and speak to somebody, but there was a finite window for you to observe any kind of interactions. Whereas for generations today, when they're on Tinder or an app, the swiping doesn't end. You can't beat it. So for them, it's like, there's this constant need of, where does this end? In the same way that, 
when you we used to play computer games, there's only so many levels on boards you do before the game finishes because there's just a memory, there's a capacity for memory that's limited on a cartridge. There's only so much games you can play before you beat the game. Whereas with games nowadays, your phone will even if you play a game, your phone will even help you because the endeavor is to keep you on that phone to keep taking your data. So this generation now, they're in an endless loop of everything. And it might be one of the reasons why they're so focused on counseling things because anytime they open up a new recess or a new loop and a new path, there's now this, I guess, existential fear that it's never ending. And how far that, and these rabbit holes and, and rabbit holes is, is, is all their lives. And because there's no way of ending, it's like YouTube will never stop suggesting content to you. There's never enough and you can go down various mm. rabbit holes that can change your position. And maybe that's why is that because the thing what ch- we all understand, what children need, and I'm not saying in a condescending way, but for successive generations who arguably are all of our children, as far as humanity is concerned, children need boundaries. They need some level, everyone needs some level of orientation just to know what direction to go in next. And how, how whatever anyone's ideological disposition is, any sentence that starts with we can't talk about is a society that's in trouble. Yeah, well said, man. And we and we can talk about ageism. And, and today, this has been the whole episode, Dane. We've managed to happen again where we haven't been able to get past the first question, which is always a good a good sign, isn't it, mate? Uh, it's a, no, it's important. And I, and I think and as the I said, rabbit, to the, the sh- rabbit holes you're talking about, though, Dane. Yeah, the rabbit holes on YouTube that you're talking about, they are slowly filling them in, so that there's only one rabbit hole which is the narrative that they want them. You'll see, they're, yeah. they're doing it now on YouTube. They're removing everything that doesn't follow. They just cancel them. And that's what that's what we're heading towards, and that's what I fear. Yeah. Is that, um, and that's what I fear in stand-up comedy. I'm sorry, I mean... No, then, listen, there's no need to apologize. The idea is that you're able to express your misgivings because you've probably seen a time before what happens when people don't... We, that's the thing about having an experience. We've all seen points in time, whether it's culturally, nationally, or just in historically in general, what happens when expression begins to be curtailed and censored and restricted? What comes next? So it's fine to have that kind of foreboding. The important thing is about ageism is that how do we take the attention away from less trained eyes and ears to focus on what's more important and also be able to disseminate the advice on how to deal with this? That's, I guess, what I try to do like with comedy and stuff is that is be like, I can't tell you what to do, younger generations, but last time some shit like this happened, this is what we did. And so yeah. if it does happen again, this is what I suggest you could possibly do. Well, it, it, it has been another excellent episode, Dane. Well, it's, it's always good, but this has been... Uh, uh, we, sure, well, are you going to sure come back on this show? We didn't answer enough questions, Howard. Not at all, No, man. it's acceptable because we can get you back on, mate. That's the genius of oh, that. I'd love to, uh, yeah. I, like, yeah. I always like talking to Dane just because it, you know, it wakes me up and opens And, and likewise, because I soak it all up like a sponge, man, and it's all, it's good to hear. And uh, yeah, I, well, best case scenario, we, we end up continuing this conversation. Oh, that's Canada, man. Yeah. You do it in the... Uh, you know, you have no idea that that show in Toronto that I'm talking about that Kenny Robertson does, all of the great comics, and there's a uh, group of them in Detroit come across the border and perform on that. Ooh. So you end up getting some, you would, you just sit back and awe. And I was the, um, one of the first Caucasians to do it. I just said, Kenny, can I do it? And Kenny is an old friend of mine. He said, 
I guess, yeah. So I walked up, and I would never been so scared in my life because it went so dead quiet, me walking sure. up on a Nubian show, right? They all just, it was like people stopped blinking. And I just, I opened the show with, hey, everyone, I just wanted to see what Buddy Holly felt like at the Apollo. <laughs> and I had everybody cheered. And then I just did my, my shit. And it was spectacular because funny is funny, right? Exactly. Um, and I'm sure if you had spoken to the, the wrong people, they would have been like, you can't talk about that kind of stuff there. So, you well, know, I think I guess and so, the, phrase, yeah. I mean, the phrase funny is funny is a good place uh, to confirm a lot of what we said about, uh, you know, <laughs> I think there's going to be a boomerang, right? Howard. And I think it's going to be things like the reason that my clips now are having success is because I think there's a, there's going to be, and that's the great thing about comedy it'll evolve again because people are going to get bored of the stuff that's happening. And I think it's happening now that people are going to go, wait a minute, it's time to, they're going to have to find us on the internet. They're going to have to find us like they're finding me now. Right. right? And I'm not, you know, hopefully, hopefully I don't, I don't do anything to be canceled, but my, my comedy is being seen now and it, it's, it's lovely and people are finding it. I know I'm not going to get on BBC, but well, hey. we'll, we'll, we'll have you back, Sean. Don't worry about that. Definitely. All right, man. That's Thank you very thing. much. I guess that's, that's wrapping it up. Well, that was fun, man. Yeah. That was great. And the school didn't call. So my son is actually making it all the way till three o'clock, which is incredible. There you go. <laughs> One more hour to go. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm basically, um, I'm touring a, a show called Smoking Funny. And it's, it's, it's been a situation where people are starting to, I'm booking it in different places, but I, it's hard for me to get in the cycle because so many comics tour in the UK. So I've got to get, you know, small theaters or whatever to agree. And, and we're trying to poke our nose in, so we're doing it. But what I am getting is there are venues out there that will take it on and, and that are seeing it. So uh, Facebook at Sean Collins Comedy, and there's lots of clips on there or Instagram and and I'm going to take this show as far as I can around the world because I'm going to request. And, and one of the things is to bring Dane back to Canada and go across Canada and show him my own country and, and let him see and go into Toronto. Toronto will have an excellent time. So I think I think for you to grow as an artist too, I think it will be incredible to yeah, perform. Yeah, definitely what I'm up for. And uh, for our yeah. listeners as well, you can also try before you buy because Sean's got a great bunch of comedy clips on his uh, Facebook page. So you can check those out. And uh, yeah, hopefully look out for our... Uh, for our uh, Sean's tour next year it might see me pop up but in the meantime to say Sean thanks very much for coming on always good to talk to you as a bro and also as a fellow comic man so I'll see you in these comedy streets very soon dude I look forward to you ice skating in Canada is <laughs> <laughs> that alone I'm gonna film I'm here for it thanks again man alright cheers man you've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything hosted by Dane Baptiste and myself Howard Cohen for more from Dane and myself make sure you follow us on Instagram at Dane Snaptiste and at the Howard Cohen you can now support us on Patreon just search DBQE Podcast and unlock ad-free content and you can watch the full-length video of the podcast please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts if you have a question for Dane make sure you send us a DM on Instagram at DBQE podcast and we could feature you in our next episode thanks for listening guys and remember question everything insanity group hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 